0: You're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Jim, how's your garden since we went down to NEP? Is it looking a little less formal, a little less structured, a bit more rewilded?
1: Well, I've, I've done a bit of weeding. Um, oh I've picked my apples as well. So, um, no, I don't think I've quite got into the rewilding. I mean, it would be great to do. It, I'd love to do it, but I haven't quite had the time to do it yet. But uh, I was inspired.
0: It is a fab excuse for never having to weed again, isn't it?
1: It is. Yes, you sort of feel that you can do that without feeling guilty.
0: Yeah, we've got a massive contrast this week, there haven't we? From from that rural idyll, that pastoral landscape, we're we're right in the centre of London. Um, in, in a slightly, um, possibly slightly noisy crowded space because we're, we're at a tavern in Fleet Street talking to a very new group called Extin- Extinction Rebellion, difficult to say, who are actually um, kind of probably at the very far edge of the green movement. So we cover everything, don't we? We cover uh, formal stuff like sustainability in organisations, Aston Martin and the cars, and here we are with... Mm-hmm. I think they describe themselves as revolutionaries, really,
1: yeah, and I suppose in the same way that um, Isabella Tree and uh, Charlie Burrell were revolutionary, or are revolutionaries, as far as what they were doing at NEP, and they were definitely on the edge. I think what we're going to be talking about today is very edgy. I'm not sure how comfortable I feel, but um, I think that, that the point is the time has come for us to do something. We can't just sit by and, and let uh, let us sort of go to hell in a handcart as far as the climate is concerned and the, and the um, yeah you know, use the resources and so on so
0: yeah i don't think we're meant to feel comfortable actually i mean i think that's the purpose of the group and no doubt we'll talk about that in more detail but i think i think they, the the real driver behind what they're trying to do is make people feel uncomfortable mm. so they force change yeah. so their whole philosophy is around uh, nonviolent civil disobedience so I guess a bit like kind of modern-day suffragettes, only they're campaigning for for climate rights rather than voting rights. Yes. Um, we've got a real stellar lineup as well, haven't we? We've got Dr. Gail Bradbrook, a well-respected um, science um, scientist and, and now a writer and journalist in her own right, and Roger Hallam, who was one of the founders of Extinction Rebellion, and has already taken quite extreme action in his own right. I think he went on a hunger strike a couple of years ago around climate change. So. I think we're in for a very, very interesting conversation. I think I think we
1: are. And, and when you um, when you're in prison, what sort of cake would you like me to bring you?
0: Just visit me. I won't need cake. Just visit
1: me. Okay.
0: So I'm joined in the upstairs room of the Cock Tavern by three extraordinary, dynamic, and I have to say feisty members of Extinction Rebellion. Okay. And this new movement, if you haven't heard of it, is about to change the world for all of us. So I'm really grateful to you three for for giving up the time this evening because I know you've got a big meeting about to happen. So I have Roger, Gail, and Teddy, and I wanted to just give our pod listeners a bit of context. So um, Roger, could I start with you because you've been in this movement generally for quite a long time. I mean, and you've got some personal track record on taking civil action and getting on hunger strike and things. Where does Extinction Rebellion come from, and why is it important?
2: Well, it's come out of a network called Rising Up, which has been knocking around for two years, and that came out of a number of workshops which happened two years ago about how climate activism could become more effective, and it led to a whole new thinking about the strategy by which we can mobilise people and what we should aim to, um, what what we should aim for, and and then, since then, a number of different campaigns have happened. And in January this year, so <laughs> yes, not just coming not.
0: for us, are they? Yeah. We'll just keep, just keep going. We'll keep going. It. So yeah. So just start again from, it.
2: came from rising up, which was what was rising up. That was a, a yeah, it was this network, I suppose, some academics and activists. I think the idea was to try and, yeah. well, how I see it was to try and reassess why we've had 30 years of failure in radical environmental movements in in terms of gross inequality, corruption of power, the climate emergency, the sort of holy trinity of horrors as you might say, and which has just got worse and worse. And with all due respect the history of activism has not really impinged significantly on this structural development. So we wants to go back with a plain piece of paper as it were, and do some proper research and see how have people effectively changed society in fundamental ways in the past over the last 200 years and let's widen our reach a little bit, not, not just think about the last decade or two and through doing that we've come up with a whole range of different ways to go about things which as you can see are a little bit different.
0: Very different. But looking at some of the people who are involved in the movement, I mean, you've got some very respected um, scientists, academics, um, you know, Rowan Williams, I mean, ex-archbishops. This is not a
3: fringe movement we're talking about here, are we? We're talking about something that could be significantly mainstream. Yeah, I think uh, the academics and the scientists are attracted because like the rest of us, they're ordinary people they're citizens, they've got children, they've got nieces and nephews, grandchildren and the science is clear You know, the UN have given us a two year warning, Um, we are looking very very likely some say inevitable, at social collapse, food system collapse we are looking at, we are already in a mass species extinction and human extinction is even a possibility climate chaos is coming and it seems to be speeding up So the science is terrifying, and I think people are ready to say we've got to try something else. Do you think the, I mean, there's no such thing as an average person, isn't there, but do you think if if
0: we could use that term, an average person finds it so terrifying, they just block it out, because it's easier just not to think about it, than to say, actually, you know, this is a slightly doom-laden scenario that you've painted, and, and one that is not, you know, that has strong scientific evidence behind it, so it's not
3: just us being alarmist. But do you think people think, no, I just can't, I can't get my head around that, so I'm just not going to think about it? Do you know what, I was a, have been an activist for some years, and I think I just wasn't willing to get my head around it. I was arrested at a fracking site and had to get a, a case together in court. And even despite that, there was some part of this that I, I hadn't faced. And it's only really this summer that I'd faced it. And I think what it means when you face it is that a whole pan of grief and shock comes to the surface. And when that happens, it's initiatory, it changes you. It changes your <laughs> determination, your focus, and we've realised that that's a really strong piece to get over to people. Roger came up with this idea of tell people the truth and ask them to act accordingly, ask them to act as if the truth is real. And I think really what we're saying to people is... It's not the time to have your head in the sand. If you've got children, if there are young people you care about, if you, if you care about life on Earth, I mean, what else is bigger? Then it's time to, to get real the face where we're at. So you've started what is a, has the appearance of being a grassroots movement, but it's probably far more
0: mainstream than grassroots, and it's attracting people from across a wide social divide, isn't it? Across all sorts of different, units. You know political and social groupings, this isn't just a group
3: of, of, of climate activists, you've got all sorts of supporters, am I right to saying that? It definitely feels like that, I mean I think that we are not trying to come from a very specific political perspective, I mean probably lots of us have got different views on, on, on politics and economics and so on, but really it feels to us this is not a left-right thing or something to be fighting over, it's to saying, look, humanity, pause see where we're at something has got to change let's have a conversation one
4: of the things that really struck me when I was evaluating my decisions and my lifestyle choices and what I was going to prioritize was that no matter where I went no matter who I spoke to everyone recognized what I was saying and talking about as the truth and they sort of already knew it and that's I was at a dance college with some very very mainstream young people who have none of the same values as me and yet when I went to spoke to my year and what not about why I was leaving um, they all went yeah that makes sense, go do it so, um, Teddy, you have yeah.
0: put your life on hold, your your formal educational life on hold, haven't you, to join the movement? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and was that? I mean, that must have been quite a tricky decision in terms of your potential career. I and mean, presumably, you've got student debt and a loan and all of those things, and parents who are expecting you to go to college. and they were expecting you to do? So, has it caused? Has it caused? I mean, your your peers understood, but have your wider family and your wider network understood? Um, so.
4: Um, I am eighteen. I haven't quite gone to uni yet. I was about to, in about half a year, so I haven't got student debt, and I'm lucky for that. But my mother, my mother has been very encouraging and very supportive. Um, It's partly due to her that I knew about these issues in the first place. You know, um, I've always known about these sorts of things. my father, though, owns a business and is slightly more conservative, but he's seen fit to stay so talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> <Tapful>. <laughs> so you yet
0: so tapful. So obviously, one of the key exactly. elements of what the, the movement that's about Extinction Rebellion is about—extinction rebellion—is about civil disobedience, and I'm not sure that people are necessarily aware of what that means. So, Roger, can you tell us because it's non-violent civil disobedience? We're not talking about the kind of suffragette type civil discipline inside which was kind of nail bombs and burning things down this is non-violent civil disobedience. what does that mean to somebody who's not been engaged in that
2: i'm not sure the suffragettes used nail bombs just they did like, yeah they did they they? No,
0: yeah they were notorious they put things into you and, and fired yeah, they were a little bit a little bit ill-disciplined <laughs> yes yeah. well they were very <laughs> radical because i think and i do think there's a parallel actually because because they were driven to that need to protest because nobody was listening to them, and they'd spent years and years and years doing the right thing and being polite and having conversations, and I think they got to the point where they felt oh, yeah, the well, really, well, really, well. really <clears throat> radical action was going to change people's minds. So, so they did engage in some quite violent protest. Actually, I didn't, they actually didn't actually kill anyone, but there's a lot of evidence to show that was more luck than judgement. <laughs> <laughs> I have mean, all, I mean, all the historians writing to me now, but. Okay,
2: so there is this general pattern that a movement sets up and for several decades it's asked, it's asked politely for something that's really pretty straightforwardly obvious and then you have a tipping point where it will move into civil disobedience or violence and over the last 50 years I think most <coughs> analysts of radical political change, such sort as of myself, come to the conclusion that violence is, is, is fundamentally dysfunctional, as it were, in terms of achieving change for a variety of reasons. So that basically leaves the civil disobedience route, which was like, developed by Gandhi and went through to Martin Luther King and through to the peace movement in the 1980s, civil rights movements around the world. Um, many uprisings in the global south produce a similar model developed by Gene Sharp and that basically rotates around mass mass law breaking in order to raise a fundamental issue of justice or of existence as it were uh, or, uh, and that, that creates a national crisis and that national crisis might lead to some sort of structural change or a change of the regime but that's that's the way in which to bring about rapid political change, I think that's pretty conclusive.
0: And what kind of mass law breaking are you advocating?
2: Well there's going to be two, there's two logics if you, if you, if you might say that. One, one is a sacrifice logic, which is you go and break the law, by like painting on a building or something like that, uh, and you continually do it until you go to prison. And the act of going to prison like, basically raises the, the issue that some people are willing to undertake significant sacrifice in order to raise the injustice of an issue. So that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is to, is to create economic disruption. And through creating economic disruption, the powers that control society lose their power, their economic power. They're losing money. And that forces them to come to the table in the same sense as people call a strike so the way that usually works is people go to the capital city they sit down and they generally stay there until structural change happens or it happens continually so those are the two main things that are on the table if we're seriously looking at dealing with this situation.
0: Okay, and the, the second model of the occupying London or occupying large cities and creating disruption in that way, now that's something that Occupy London did a lot, wasn't it, outside the stock exchange, but, yeah, yeah. but but, but, eventually, you know, they were worn down by the system and those protesters were moved away just as they were in New York. So, So how are we going to make the change happen? through your model, if that's the model people choose to engage in. I mean, is it just sheer weight of numbers? Thousands and thousands occupying the city, is that an answer?
3: So I don't think we're proposing an occupation as such. We've looked at what went well for Occupy and tried to learn from that, and also what didn't go so well. And one of the commentators say that it's just one tactic, occupation. And Roger also talks about the investment principle. You know, how much energy do you have to put in for what you get out? If you go and spray chalk a building, so we, use, we often use chalk or poster paint, it washes off pretty easily, and sometimes we clean it off ourselves. Um, then, then you can uh, get just as much attention for sitting there in a, in, in a tent um, for doing an action for 10 minutes, if you see what I mean. So we need to sort of think carefully about what energy we've got and part of what we try to do with rising up and extinction Rebellion is look after ourselves so that we've got the energy to to cope with this and take care of ourselves within it. I think it's probably useful to talk about you know, the term non-violence because different people have different views of what actually that means. We say that minor property damage, we don't see that as being violent. So somebody might think putting paint on a building counts as violence. We're not thinking that anybody's going to be harmed we did in one action do what we call cracking a window so it was more and more like suffragettes yeah great it, is, it, 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 <laughs> it is it um, is Emily Panker talked about the noble art of window smashing because that's how the chartists got the vote um, so but what we also say as well as being absolutely uh, peaceful is that we're above the ground. So if somebody wants to put a face mask on or under cover of darkness and throw a brick through a window and run off, they can't be part of the Extinction Rebellion. That's up to them. They can do what they want. We're not telling people what to do. But we, 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 we'll do something and we'll stand, there. we'll stand there and take the consequences of what we've done. And I think that's the point. You know, We are saying there's something about civil disobedience where you're saying this system is so toxic it's killing life on earth and I am not willing to stand in it and the way I, I the way I show my uh, refusal to, to engage with that system of course we're all tied up in it in different ways but the way I demonstrate that I've had enough of this is by breaking them all and so it's an act of courage and it's a way of uh, breaking almost like a spell where we feel trapped in this system. I mean, I think most people hopefully know that something's got to change, yeah. but you feel very trapped in your day-to-day life, right? What can you do? Well, what we say to people is that mass civil disobedience yeah. makes a difference. Are you willing to do that? And what, and, and what you really find is that people, people often say, well, it's their fault or it's their problem, if only those would wake up. And we yeah. say to Will, what about you? What are you willing to do? And that gives that person that power back.
0: Yeah, it's a very empowering process, isn't it? I mean, it's truly democratic, and I've been reading some of your, your material about the way that you s- structure the group and the decision-making processes, and it is a very democratic and enabling and empowering uh, um, you know, proposal that you're putting forward. Um, It could be quite frightening. I mean, Teddy, you're quite young. You just just turned 18. Uh, How do you view the prospect of possibly being arrested? Um,
4: I'm not afraid. (laughs) Um, I've been faced with the idea that I won't have a future, I won't have a family, I won't grow old, I won't have a career that I've desperately wanted for myself. Uh, And in the face of that going... Being arrested, you know, at the very least for a night, especially when I have the support of a lot of legal people who uh, will brief me on it first, um, and and possible like financial support isn't that bad, in my opinion, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's worth it. I, I darn well hope so, but you you make no difference if
0: you don't try. Yeah, absolutely. And you've had one protest already, haven't you, with the launch earlier in in, in October and a number of people were arrested but my understanding is that they
3: weren't actually charged, is that right? Or were they charged? I I think, I'm not 100% sure that some some were released and some were released pending investigation so charges could still come, so we're not 100% sure how that's going to play out. Because I
0: think that a lot of people would, you know, listen yeah. to this and say, yes, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I 100% buy into the, the shortness of time. You know, the climate is, is our number one priority. There can't be anything more important than, than, than dealing with this because, you know, everything else pales into insignificance. But I'm just not brave enough to go out and get myself arrested. I'm not brave enough to change myself
3: to a rabies or to, 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 you know.
0: Is there a place for those people who want to support but can't take that final step?
3: There's lots of different ways people can support. We need people to help on social media, of course it helps to have some financing. Uh, People can support people once they've come out of jail, they can pick them up. But I would encourage everybody to look at where that passivity sits for them. So if you've got a mental health issue or if you've got caring issues, then it's not going to be the right thing for you, getting arrested. But if you're an ordinary person... Look at what's coming. Really look at what's coming and see how frightening that is. This is this is child's play compared to what's coming. Do you see what I mean? And this and it's only gonna change. We know that we need about three and a half percent of the population to rise up to make change. That's Erica Tennerwith's data. So we need about two million people in the UK. We don't need all of them to be breaking the law, but a significant portion. So it's a, it's, there's a data issue here. So if it's not you, what, why not? You know, what's your boundary? And that's up for every person to uh, to, to consider for themselves. But what I've certainly found is that if, when people really engage with this on an emotional level rather than intellectual, or rather than head in the sand, no. then some courage comes from somewhere that they didn't know they had. And also I think there's a, a responsibility, uh, especially if you're a parent, especially if you've got grandchildren, to think about the future. You know, I think that our, our, our culture is deeply narcissistic. It's all about me, what do I need? How can I have some, a nice time? We've been programmed into narcissism. And there's something in this process that goes, my life is short, I will die one day, life on earth is dying, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know, What's the value of my life? It's, I love life. When you grieve about what we're losing, and when you face the shock of it, then there's a, a heart opening. That's a beautiful thing to watching people. I'm seeing very ordinary people saying, actually, enough. Yeah. And, sorry.
4: <coughs> also with that a great deal
3: of, <clears throat>
4: of fear just comes from lack of knowledge um, we, yeah, we're afraid of breaking the law for what it might mean and a lot of people come forward saying I don't think I'm ready for that or maybe-ish and when they find out a lot more about it then they become more open to it I've had a lot of people asking me but like Teddy would that destroy your future? what will that do? and the answer generally when you look at it is probably
0: no and,
4: well, yeah.
3: Though we can't say for sure, and yeah. and also if your future is getting destroyed anyway, yeah, yeah. you know, so we got to lose. really. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a bit about the big mass day of protest on on,
0: on, the, on the Saturday, on the Saturday the seventeenth. What's the plan for that, and what is it you would
3: ask people to do? So we've uh, we'll we'll put some Facebook events up soon, some more detailed ones, but there'll probably be actions in different locations to cause um, as much disruption as possible in London, and that will depend on numbers and who's coming and where they need to get to and things like that. What we will be doing is informing the uh, services, the emergency services by the police, and we've had uh, really strong advice that if we give them sufficient notice they can plan around the disruption. And keep people safe. So that's been a key consideration for us. Okay. So it's disrupting traffic. It's disrupting
0: services. What kind of disruption, you know, it would be the most effective? Do you think? To, you know, I mean, sheer volume of numbers is important, isn't it? But it's also what you do with the people, because, you know, I mean, I guess a lot of people will remember seeing the pictures of the Brexit, you know, Brexit march, seven hundred and fifty thousand people, very, you know, gentle and polite and civilised. A, a very little effect I think probably just a lot of people walking through the sunshine so so that's you know that isn't mass protest that's just occupying a little bit of, of lane. Yeah. Not so many of us were
3: inconvenienced by that really. No, no Parking roads is, is one of the, the things that we're discussing at the minute to, to create a disruption Okay and
0: in terms of yeah. other support, and I do want to talk a bit about online because obviously, you know, yeah. a huge number of young people care about this and are passionate, and their main connection with with issues these days is, is online. So, so tell me, how do we mobilise people to, to get off, or get off online, get off their phones, get off their tablets, and get out into the streets?
4: Well, they can start on their phones and their tablets if they want to. <laughs> how do we mobilise them to get off that and onto their streets? Well. Uh, yeah, it's a mixture of both. You know, um, I think one of the strengths of Extinction Rebellion is that we are organised online, which means that people in other countries even can help with the coordination of the UK part of it. Once you're in a working group online you're helping online, um, then you go to meetings, and that you are invited to open events and trainings and, st- uh, and whatnot and if you have the availability to I think it's very you, you want to um, but then the decentralization process I think helps in that we have a lot of groups in different cities and and places <laughs> and to go to that group isn't really to commit to anything other than to be there on that one night young people especially um, is one that's being looked at. I'm not part of the, the uni outreach, but I was recently in Brussels talking to a group of uh, very young activists who um, were just coming into and finding their power. Um, they'd done they'd done a march to bring attention to this issue. Of, you know such a simple action you think that these young teenagers realize that they they can do so much and they had so much power um and online is a really crucial tool for getting that first level of engagement isn't it so i think how you get people from online to doing stuff in real life is you have someone that starts it and says come join in so this is something that's happened recently these two young men um
3: so this is jack and finn Harris, they're um youtube and instagram stars and, and given that i'm 46 and, and on call and, and and not not down with this stuff I'm I, didn't know, I didn't know i didn't i didn't yeah. i didn't know about them but apparently they've got four million subscribers they went to downing street this morning uh and took our declaration of rebellion to deliver it with alongside our demands mm. And so that's obviously going to ripple through the, the networks.
4: And you make it something they want to do as well. So Instagram is something that is really widely used by uh, my peers, especially the dance the dance group of the young people. You know, the thousands of people who are interested in that are always on Instagram, because that's where you see it. And say we did an action that was dance, we could do that, and they would totally... Like they would really be up for that, especially my friends like, I could ask them and they would come and if we contacted other unis
0: in, in London they would probably come to do that too yeah. So we want people to engage online we want them to come out from behind their screens and and, and march and take part of in actions actual physical actions joining Extinction Rebellion on the streets
3: to create civil disobedience because if we don't then really there's no hope for us It's not just, uh, yes and it's not just a, oh you should be doing this because it's the right thing to be doing it's, it's a really empowering feeling to, to face something really difficult and to choose to be part of the change when we did our launch on the 31st outside Parliament and, and, and getting on for a thousand people got in the road for a couple of hours and uh, blocked, blocked the houses of Parliament we had songs we had spontaneous sort of interfaith exchanges it was a beautiful thing I mean, people went away from their loved up feeling alive yeah. so I don't think this is just a you know asking people to be sacrificial in a really sort of martyrry way this is just as- asking people to step up and find a better part of themselves that's 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 willing to fight for life on earth
4: Observed by young people who you know a lot of uh, suffering from mental illnesses and difficulties, I I personally think a large part of that is from the system we're living when they get involved with that they become more healthy. I found that in myself it's something um, that was, I've discussed it with a parent of a, a teenager activist that I, uh, that I know He was telling me that previously she'd been mute for a long time and was having eating problems. And when she finally started doing stuff about this issue those things cleared up and she was slowly becoming healthier and healthier because she was actually doing something
0: worthwhile towards a better end. It's about taking control of the environment that we're in, isn't it? And coming together. So if people want to get involved, what do they do? Just find you on the website, find you on Twitter?
2: Well, people, people can come at 10 o'clock, Parliament Square, Saturday the 16th. 17th 10am right. Holland Square Saturday the 17th And it's
0: okay just to turn up You just turn
2: up bring packed lunch sit down the road have a great day <laughs>
0: Well they can't message They can <laughs> <That's laughs> And whatever you do take the pictures while you're there and post them because we need everybody else to know Thank you so much and apologies everybody for the background noise but that's, that's what happens when you do your <laughs> activism in a pub <laughs> You've been listening to Planet Pod. Join us next time when we go down to Bristol to talk about sustainable food and turning Bristol into a gold sustainable city.